Man, I will be uh, perfectly up front with you. I know that Sundays are not about numbers, but it is so good to see so many people sitting in one room together at the same time for the same reason. I, I uh, Man, I even went up to the, whatever we want to call that, the landing pad up there and took a picture. It's just, it feels good. I know that the past year has been odd. Um, the year ahead may be odd, but in the moment right now today, like, it, it just, man, it feels good. Um, I may be a bit more unhinged today uh, than normal. Um, Didn't think I would teach today. Uh, It's been a crazy week for my family. Um, And so, lost my grandmother on Thursday. And so, just a lot moving forward. Uh, But here's the reason I say that. Uh, Didn't plan on teaching you know, by midweek, I was like, I'm not going to teach, and so everything that I had kind of planned, I just, I just kind of abandoned for a little while, and uh, didn't really even know, like, had some ideas, thought about it, but like this morning, in within about an hour and a half's time, like, this is the message I heard from God this morning, and so I say that, not to, to brag on me, but I think there's a reason uh, when God speaks so clearly, I think we need to take note. And I'm not saying that God doesn't speak every week. I hope he does, because every time we open Scripture, like, God is faithful to use it, to draw us, to change us, to make us into something. But, like, super clear, some really, really super clear just spiritual interaction this morning with God. And so it was neat, and I think uh, there's a a huge reason for it, and he wants us to hear it. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 3. And if you did see, I know for those of you who can't stand suspense, there is a note card and a pen in each seat. Uh, if, you want, if you're a note taker and want to take notes, take notes on the back, on the front, you're going to do something else, uh, but if you want to take notes on it, you can, uh, but by all means, if you have your own notebook, take notes in that, because we're going to use those um, in just a bit. Uh, so I'm going to pray, and then, uh, man, we're going to talk about, I love, the, I, love the, I love all of Acts, but the very beginning parts of Acts, man, I, I really, really love them, because they're just, man, it sets the stage for what's about to happen for the next couple thousand years. And this passage is no exception. So let's pray together, and we'll, we'll jump in. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you so much for your uh, unsurpassed, victorious, life-giving, breath-giving, future-altering love. Uh, God, we thank you that because of your love, we can know you, we can be known by you, and others can know you as a result. Uh, God, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that we do it well. I pray we do not add to or take away anything, but it speaks because it's yours And Father, you use it to make us more like the church you desire us to be. Uh, Thank you for calling us into a body of believers that a mission existed beforehand and a mission will exist after. God, I pray that we understand the gravity and the weight of responsibility and the beauty of grace today. It's in your name. Amen. So we're going to look in Acts chapter 3 and 4. We're going to read two large passages this morning. and, And I am accused when that happens that I read fast. I'm going to try to keep it at... A moderate pace today, but I want to get through, um, and then we'll get to the index cards at the end. So to set up where we are contextually, this is what hap- has happened so far. You know, we had the disciples walking with Jesus for a while, uh, maybe up to a couple of years. We see Jesus hang on the cross. We see him rise on the third day. We see him come back victorious, spend 40 days with the disciples, not just the 11 remaining, but also several hundred others who had been following him. And then we find the early part of Acts, which corresponds to the latter parts of the gospel, giving us the Great Commission. 
And basically, it's Jesus leaving, ascending back to where he should have always been, but he left because he needed to make a way for us to God. And he said, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving you with responsibility. And I'm not just leaving you with responsibility. I'm leaving you with a mission, and I'm leaving you with the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the mission that you hold on to through the responsibility. And then after that, we see Peter give a not-so-riveting message at Pentecost. He gave, he gave a history lesson. There was no alliteration. There was no automatopoeia. There were none of those things. It was a history lesson, but the reason that it worked is because the Holy Spirit was in it, and everyone that listened, they were like, oh, this cuts us really deep, Peter. What do we do? He said, well, you need to repent, believe, and be baptized. On that day, several thousand Men plus women and children uh, were added to the family of God. And then after that, in Acts chapter 2, we see this pivotal text about what it means to be family. Uh, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We talked about that last week. Uh, They were together in all things, both physically, uh, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, and they were distributing the needs to any who had need. They were together. And so that's where we are. And so today, like after that, it's only a few lines. We don't actually know the time frame that occurred from the time in which they went and began living as family, but we find ourselves here, chapter 3, verse 1 of Acts, and we find two players, Peter and John. And so we're going to read through uh, several of these verses, probably through verse 10, and then uh, talk a little bit more. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. We'll pause right here. So basically, Peter and John going to the temple, most likely to worship, but this beggar who sits here all the time, later we'll find out he was 40 years old, he was a regular here, he had enough people that would bring him, sit him here, and he would ask, out of his need, may I have some money? And so on this particular day, Peter and John, two of which who had walked with Jesus, leaders of the current church in this point, the ecclesia, as we talked about a few weeks ago, they see him, and they don't have money. But they look at him and they say, look at us. We don't have silver, we don't have gold, but I do have something that I can give to you. And he said, in the name of Jesus, get up. Like, that was it. Like, again, not eloquent because that's not Peter. Not alliterative, that's not Peter. He doesn't repeat initiating consonant sounds to draw attention. That's alliteration if you didn't know. It's a great device. But anyway, he didn't do any of that. He just said, look, in the name of Jesus, get up. Grabbed him by the hand, pulled him up, ankles, legs, everything. 40 years, strengthened right there, he stood up. And then, believe it or not, after that, the guy just, he just starts leaping and praising God, believe it or not. He does that right there. And then everybody that sees him, they're like, I know this guy. I know this 40-year-old crippled guy that sits outside asking for money every time I come here. He's walking now. That's crazy. And it says they were overcome with amazement. There's a couple things here, like we're going to come back and we're going to talk about it. But, man, a couple of these phrases right here. 
in verse 4, just to call your attention. We're going to come back and talk, but I want to reread it again, starting in verse 4. And it says, And Peter uh, directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I think that we need to reorient our brains, and I think this is what Scripture is constantly doing to our hearts and to our minds. We have to reorient the brain uh, as to the reason why we were left here after being redeemed by Jesus. Because I think that in our minds and in our hearts that we believe that Jesus' role in our life is to relocate us, to take us from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God. And that is true, but the thing is, he doesn't remove us from this world. He leaves us here. He leaves us here for a purpose. We already see this at the end of Matthew and at the end of Mark and the beginning of Acts, that he left us with a responsibility, the empowerment to accomplish that responsibility, the Holy Spirit, and what we call that is the Great Commission. In this place, after the church has began to grow, after it has began to thrive, after they have began to figure out what family looks like, we see these two guys, leaders of the church, they see this crippled guy, they say, we have no money, but what we do have, we give to you, and what we give to you in the name of Jesus is healing. We have to understand and we have to begin to process, we have to begin to own it, we have to begin to pray for it, we have to begin to be it, to understand that Jesus left us here because the world is in need of healing. If we haven't seen it in the rest of our life, in the whole time that we've walked on this planet, in our shoes, smelly or not, we should be able to see it now that this world is broken, broken beyond human repair. It cannot be fixed by man's hands. It cannot be fixed by man's plans. Did not mean to rhyme there. It cannot be fixed by any power other than the one that Jesus left us with when he departed. And this guy, Peter and John, these guys, they looked and they said, we have no money, but what we do have we give you. In the name of Jesus, be healed. So after that, in verse 11, it says, while he clung to Peter and John, the man that was healed, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this and why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, Jacob, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see now. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So in the meantime, like in the, like in the, the immediate aftermath of Peter and John saying, we don't have money, but what we do have in the name of Jesus, be healed. Right after that, people were looking, they were like, man, this is crazy. We don't understand. Peter took that opportunity. He said, well, let me remind you of a couple things. Let me remind you uh, in whose power we just did that and in whose power we did not do that. We didn't do it in ours. We did it in Jesus's. And by the way, this is the same Jesus that you just saw 40, 50, 60 days ago hanging on a cross because you wanted him there. And now through his power, this man has been made complete. This man has been made complete. After this, he continued to, to look back in the, the next verses. We're not going to cover them all. We're going to skip to verse 4. But after this, he continues to expound. Again, like Peter did so not eloquently, he just gave a history lesson. He said, look, let's go as far back and talk about it. Uh, the prophets talked about him. They knew he was coming. You should have known he was coming. This was Jesus. This was Jesus. And through him, 
we just did what astounded you. Pretty amazing. And so in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Came to about 5,000. So, I don't know if we have a good perspective on what 5,000 men look like. But as a result of, we have no silver, we have no gold, but what we do have we give to you. Be healed, get up in the name of Jesus. As a result of just using what they had, which was enormous, but it was one person, 5,000 men plus women and children came to believe. 5,000 men plus women and children. And so the, the convening authority, they were perturbed. That should be a good English word transliterated. They were perturbed. They were, they were put off. They were annoyed because they were speaking of the resurrection, the fact that Jesus doesn't leave us as we are. He started something. He resurrected from the dead. We get to resurrect from the dead. And they were preaching that, and they were like, we don't want anything to do with that. We don't want anyone talking about that because it's preposterous, and that shows that Jesus has way more power than we could ever have. We don't want that. We're perturbed. So they were arrested. They were arrested in the midst of 5,000 men, women, and children giving their lives to Jesus. It says, On the next day, the rulers and the elders, scribes, gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power, by what name do you do this? I don't know if you play golf. I don't. But this is probably like one of the best teeing-ups that we have in the New Testament. Like, literally, like, the best, te- like, putting the golf, now, I've been to the driving range, and I've got this perpetual, what is it, when it goes to the right, if you're right, is that a hook, or is that a slice? Either way, I've got that. It looks like an F-14 Tomcat and Top Gun, and there's a bogey on its rear, and it's got to get away, and it's just, like, going straight, <laughs> that's me. But either way, like, I know one thing you have to do when you, get, you want a beautiful drive. You put that tee in the ground, you put that ball in it at the right height, just for you so that you can swing the head of that little metal club or wood if you're old school or graphite or whatever, I don't know, and smack that little white ball. They teed it up. They teed it up good. They arrested them. They were perturbed. They were like, you're talking about this resurrection that threatens everything that we believe, everything that we know, all the accumulation of our power. By what authority? Whose name do you do this? Tee it up. Peter grabs his best club. And he just says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He said, you want to know, I'll tell you. Oh, it's Jesus. Oh, it's Jesus. The greatest name ever, the only name that can save the only hope for our salvation, it's Him. 
you're going to tee it up, I'm going to smack it. Peter and John had an opportunity to go away quietly. They had an opportunity to get out of jail free, collect $200, be on their way. But they just had the perfect tee, the perfect ball, the perfect line, the perfect opportunity. And they had already been equipped to answer. It was Jesus. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, we're going to come back to that, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Yeah, 5,000 men plus women and children. That's not even counting everyone that was there. 5,000 men plus women and children. One miracle, 5,000 men plus women. That number blows my mind. But anyway, what are we going to do? Everybody saw it. We can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them. They told them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And when they had threatened them further... They let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. They said, look, here's our answer, guys. You can't talk about this anymore. you got to be quiet. And they were like, "Mm, nope, not going to happen today. Because we've seen something that changed our lives, has already changed other people's lives, has the power to change all of creation, and there's no way we can't speak about it. It almost sounds like a double negative, but they're just saying, look, there's no way. There's no way under heaven, on this earth, above hell, there's no way that we're not going to speak about what we've seen, what we've heard, and what we've experienced. We don't care what you tell us. We have to talk about it. For some reason, I don't know what it is, either we've been culturally indoctrinated that our spirituality, our life-giving change that is brought forth by grace through faith and only through Jesus, I don't know if we've been indoctrinated to believe that it's private, that it's so personal, but some way or another we have not adopted the same mentality that we've seen here. We haven't adopted the mentality that, hey, uh, Jesus has utterly wrecked my life for the good. He broke the mold that I was in, tore the chains off, released this captive that was held by sin, and has put me in the freedom of the kingdom to pursue, to follow, to speak victory over people's lives in the name of the Spirit of Jesus that has been placed inside of me. Like somehow we've, think, we've come to think that speaking of Jesus has become optional. When these guys are like, look, no, Jesus has done something crazy in me. We've seen him do crazy in others. There's no way that we can't speak about it. I don't care if you threaten us with jail. I don't care if you threaten us with stones. I don't care what you threaten us with. We have to speak. If we see the change that has been wrought, if we see the kingdom that has been broken in exchange for the other, there has to be something in us that wants to talk about it. Unless we devalue salvation, unless we've taken salvation and we've turned it into an enrollment into a Jelly of the Month club or a record club, like was, which was really big in the 80s, because that, you know, we don't talk about it a whole lot, but this is different. 
This is more. This is by the blood of Jesus, through the very indwelling spirit of the living God, by grace through faith. I am no longer captive by sin, but I am free in the name of Jesus. Like that, that bears the weight and responsibility of being talked about, being spoken about, being declared. We talked about it last week. We have brothers and sisters in a place today where the speaking of this is probably going to lead to their death. And they know they must speak. Because even their captors and those who want to kill them need to hear. Their neighbors who are being threatened with the same things, they need to hear. And so afterwards, this is what happened. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, verse 24, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs of wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. From the collection of this large passage, I think there are there are four things that we need to pick out and that we need to see and lay hold of. The first, Peter understood clearly from the get-go, is that uh, we must believe that God is able. We must believe that God is able. Very interesting that uh, Peter says what he says and he does what he does. He sees this blind beggar and he directed his gaze, and he said, as did John, he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something of them. But Peter said, I have no silver, no gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That man was healed, not because of his faith, but because of Peter's. Hold on to that. That man was healed, not because of his faith, but because of Peter's. I don't, know if that, I don't know if that hits you the way it hits me. But again, we've taken our faith, our walk with Jesus, and we've made it so incredibly personal and so incredibly private that we've also demonetized the very faith that we have in Jesus. We believe that he could change us from dead to alive, but maybe we don't believe it for our neighbor. Peter believed, Peter understood that he walked by a crippled man and the faith that was residing in him was strong enough to say, get up. Peter's faith, not the man's. And I know that it might not sound like much to you, but it sounds like a ton to me because it tells me that if I don't believe that God can save my neighbor, oh man, it says way more about my faith than it does about the power of Jesus. We have to believe that God is able. 5,000 men plus women and children as a result of Peter saying, what I have I give to you. It's not money, but get up. We have to believe that God is able. 
no matter the person, no matter their location, no matter their ideologies, no no matter their political affiliation, no matter what banner they wave, God is entirely able to bring them from death to life just like He did me. No matter who they are. But that only affects us if we believe He can do it. That only matters to you and me if we see faith as powerfully as these two guys did. He's entirely able. Because here's the thing, if we don't believe He's able, we'll never participate in His mission. If we don't believe that He's utterly able to save my lost neighbor, my lost co-worker, the Taliban, we will never participate in His mission. Because why would we? Why would we? Instead, we're going to be quiet. I'm going to be passive. I'm going to say things like, you know what, they're going to see the gospel in what I do, which is true. But the gospel is also made up of words, language, and it must be shared. Romans 10 says that faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. How beautiful are the feet of those who take the good news. The gospel is a story which God started, God perpetuated, Jesus made real, and we have to share it verbally. Now, sometimes there's a lot of steps to get to that, but it's real. But if we don't believe that God is able, we'll never speak. We'll speak amongst people that think like us because God's able to save them. Why and how do we know? Because we already see it. But those other people, they're really lost. We believe for our salvation. We also must believe for the salvation of others. Here's the second thing. Not only must we believe, but when we are given the chance to speak, we need to speak. When we are given the chance to open our mouth and openly declare what has been done, what has been wrought, what has been changed in me, we must speak and not worry about the consequences. And I know that sounds elementary, and it's something that we would say in Sunday school, but until we start thinking in the terms of uh, the faith that I have been granted as a result of Jesus is powerful enough to break mountains, to break strongholds, to heal crippled men, and to save the lost, man, we will not speak about it. And we must. Our neighbor's eternity depends on it. Our co-worker's eternity depends on it. My children's eternity depends on it. I must speak. And you must speak with me. You must speak. And even just this idea of you will be my witnesses, it doesn't mean you memorize every single ink and nod of Scripture, but it does mean that we are able to vocalize the change that God has wrought in me as a result of Jesus by grace through faith. We can talk about that. We talk about our story all the time. Share your story. When we're given the opportunity to speak, speak. Man, Mark Dever, uh, a pioneer kind of in modern discipleship, just has this, this beautiful quote because I think also that we confuse what evangelism is. I think we think evangelism is, is necessarily going door to door and handing out tracts, and I'm not, I'm not busting on that. Man, if that's what God's called you to do, you do that. If you want to stand on a street corner because God said stand on a street corner, declare the gospel and the goodness of God, you do that. But here is this. Uh, Mark Dever says evangelism is not imposing anything on anyone. It is simply sharing the truth. In this case, in this scenario, these guys... After Peter and John had said, hey, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up, the convening authorities just said, by what authority and whose name did you do this? 
There are going to be times where it's just going to be teed up. That is the work of the Holy Spirit that goes before us. Every now and then, you're going to be asked, like we heard about it in our men's Bible study last week. Not going to give away details, but one guy was just talking about, man, here is the struggle that I have with my job. Very often when we go out of town, they ask us to do things we don't want to do, and I just have to say I'm not. And here's why. Teed up. Sometimes it's just going to be asked, hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And it's not because you're a legalist. No, it's you're striving to be holy because he is holy. Teed up. Maybe you're loving people that seem unlovable, and somebody notices it, and they're like, man, why do you love that person? Teed up. Maybe it might mean that you're not responding to the rest of this political chaos and indoctrinational chaos. And maybe they're saying, hey, why are you so calm in the midst of just uncertainty? Teed up. First Peter says, always be prepared and ready to give a reason for your hope. Maybe sometimes someone's just going to say, hey, how can you have hope in the midst of all of this nuttiness? Teed up. If we listen close enough, people are going to ask why we believe what we believe and what do we believe. We just have to listen. But again, it goes back to that first one. If we don't believe that Jesus is able, we're probably not going to listen either when he's teeing it up for us just to answer. When given the chance to speak, it's not that we have to give all the answers. We just, we just have to share truth. That's exactly what they did. They said, by whose name do you do this? And Peter's like, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Here's the other thing. Have to believe that he's able. We have to speak when the time comes. But here's the third. We have to understand where the equipping comes from. We have to understand where the equipping comes from. These, this convening authority, they looked at these men, and this is what they said. They, they were scratching their heads, stroking their beards, and they said, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, verse 13, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. If we're waiting to be ready by man's standards to share the gospel, we're never going to be there. I don't care how many letters you have after your name, how many PhDs, MDivs, DMINs that you have, that does not equip us to share the gospel. Do you know what equips us to share the gospel? The life-giving change of Jesus Christ, period. And the Holy Spirit that has come to reside in those who are now bound to God through Jesus. That's the equipping. These men, they hadn't been to rabbinical school. Maybe a couple of them had, but on the majority of these disciples, they hadn't been to rabbinical school. They had followed Jesus. They had been changed by Jesus. And as a result, they spoke of Jesus. You're going to be an authority beyond anyone else over the change that God has brought forth in your life. Who better to speak about it? No one. No one is more qualified, no one is more equipped to talk about the change that God has done in you. You are that person. You get to speak. I get to speak. When it is teed up and even when it is not teed up, we get to speak because we understand that the equipping has very little to do with me and everything to do with the glory and the power and the majesty of our sovereign Jesus. We get to speak. Whether at work, whether at play, whether in our home, whether over text, we get to speak. Here's the fourth thing, and man, I think here's the part in the evangelical white church of the South that we miss. And no offense to that, I'm just saying it. 
That's who we are. So I can speak with that with authority because that's what I am. Do you know what they did as soon as they got back? As soon as they got back together with all the disciples. Number one, they were like, you wouldn't believe what just happened. We got tossed in jail. Whoop, whoop. And we got to talk about Jesus. Whoop, whoop. And then they stopped and they said, dear God, dear sovereign Lord, we've seen everything that's happened here. You did it so that we may participate. Now grant us boldness so that we can continue, so that we can continue to be tossed in jail, so that we can continue to be persecuted, so that we can continue to be beaten, so that we can continue to be martyred, so that we can continue to speak of what we have seen, what we have heard for the glory and the redemption of those who need to hear about you. They prayed. Man, I think very often we think the equipping comes as a result of just sitting. We think the equipping comes as a result of just being osmotically infused with people of church and Scripture. No, very often this is where it happens, and not very often, but every time. If we want to look at a major work of God, the way that it occurs in Scripture and throughout the rest of history, it started with prayer. Every one of them. It started with people laying down their their desires, laying down uh, their culture, laying down their preference before God and saying, God, we need you to work because we can't fix it. 5,000 men plus women and children are not going to come to you uh, because we speak good words. It's going to come because you move. The convening authorities who want us dead, they're not going to give their lives over to you because we're so good at what we do. They're going to do it because you work. Before we expect for God to save our neighbor, before we expect for God to save our coworker, before we expect for God to save our children, we need to spend time praying that God would save our coworker, save our neighbor, save our child. And then when the time is right, because we have believed that he is able and we've been willing to speak when the time prepares us and we understand that the equipping doesn't come from me, let God move. Let God move. So your cards... Here's your cards. As a family value within Origins, we talk about this, you know, if you go through our membership process and it'll come up when we talk about discipleship, if we are paying attention, we should easily be able to see three people around us who do not know Jesus. Easily. Three people around us who do not know Jesus. So this is what you're going to do. The first thing, you're going to take that card, I'm going to give physical illustrations, and you're going to fold it in half like so, origami. Basic origami, 101. Okay? Believe it or not, when you fold it in half, you've divided it in two. That's crazy. On both sides of the paper, in just a minute, you don't have to do it right now unless you know right off, you're going to write the names of the same three people on both sides of people that are in your circle that you know right now that do not know Jesus. Okay? Bill, Bob, Jim, whatever. Monosyllabic names. I'm kidding. They can be multisyllabic. But you're going to write them here, okay? Here's, that's step one, both sides. You're going to tear this in half in just a minute. Uh, here's the second thing you're going to do. After you write those three names, you're going to circle the one, the one who you are going to do everything within God's power after praying for them to get them here, to get them into a community group, or to have a gospel conversation with them in the next 30 days. Hey, these are action steps right here. If you don't like those, I'm sorry tough toenails. My wife loves toenails. So, three names. Circle the one who you think is closest to you right now that in the next 30 days you're going to get them here, you're going to get them in a community group, or you're going to have a gospel conversation with them. Okay? 
After you do that, you're going to tear it in half. One to keep, one to drop in that basket back there. Because here's what we're going to do with you. Leadership within Origins, we're going to get these cards, we're going to divide amongst leadership, and we're going to pray with you. Because over the next 30 days, this is what you're going to do. And I pray that it goes beyond 30 days. Uh, One day, start with one day, pray for all three names that God would save them and that you would get to see it. Okay? And when tomorrow comes, make it day two. You pray for all three names that God would save them and you would, they, he would let you see it. On Tuesday, you pray for the third day. Thursday, the fourth day, go a whole week. And then after a week, go a whole month. Praying for them every day. If you need to put this on your dash in your car, if you can still do that in modern cars, I don't know if you can or not. I drive a semi-modern car. But either way, put it somewhere. You're going to see it every single day. And when you see it, you pray. And it could be as simple as this. God, save Jeremy. Through your power, God, save generic female name. But not just that. Not just that. The same words that they said at the end, it says, um, and now, Lord, look upon their threats, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Pray for boldness for you to speak. Believe that he can. Speak as soon as you can. And understand that this is not through your power. This has to be a work of God. This is not an effort to grow origins and to fill these chairs. Because to be honest, most days I could care less about that. And I know you say, well, that's crazy as a pastor. No, no, no. I want to see the kingdom of God grow. And if he uses origins to do that, man, I'll clap right along with you. But if he uses somebody else, I'm good with that too. But it won't happen. And I know this sounds crazy. Unless we believe that it can unless we ask God to do it because we believe that he can. So three names, circle the one. Over the next month, here's what you've got within Origins. I'm laying it out for you. Over the next month, next week, we start uh, our walk through the book of Mark. And believe it or not, the book of Mark, it's all about Jesus. It's one of my top four favorite gospels. All about Jesus. And, and so if someone comes next month, chances are 99.9% plus 0.1%, they're going to hear about Jesus. They're going to hear. So invite them. I'm not telling you that's a substitute for evangelism because it's not. Because evangelism is you sharing truth, not just me sharing truth. But as a result of them coming, if they're far from Jesus, I can promise you this. They're going to hear something and be like, man, I don't understand that. Can you explain that to me? Teed up. Answer. Believe that God can save them. Pray for them. And when it's time to speak, you speak. And if you don't have the answers, they ask you a question. Hey, here's a simple answer. Say, you know what? Uh, I don't know. But let, let me find out, and I'll, I'll catch up with you tomorrow. And do it. Believe it or not, be a man or woman of your word. If they ask you a question you don't know, find out the answer. Email some of us. Talk, call some of us. Call your community group leader. Call any of the leadership here. Call somebody that you know that follows Jesus, has been doing it for a while. Say, hey, somebody asked me this. I don't know how to answer. What should I say? And then go back to them and say, you know what? Here we go. Or maybe better yet, open your Bible and figure it out for yourself through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the gift of His word. Better yet, sorry, a little jacked up on caffeine and clean pure water. So next week, next month, we've got, we're starting the book of Mark. They're going to hear about Jesus. Next Sunday, we have first Sunday breakfast. Man, just invite them to breakfast. Don't do a bait and switch. Say, hey, we're just going to gather with some friends for breakfast. They show up and it's church, and they're like, what'd you do? Don't do that. Don't be that guy or that girl. Tell them what we're doing, but invite them. Say, hey, we're a faith family in downtown, and we'd love to have you come and just kind of hang out with us. We'll have lots of carbs. 
And then afterwards, we're going to sing some songs, and we're going to hear about Jesus. If you'd like to do that, how about you come with me? And, and here's, here's where your comfort zone may be touched a little bit. If they want to wear a mask, you wear one too. If they don't want to come because they, they would have to wear a mask and they would feel alone, how about you put one on too? We're providing them. We've got them outside. You do that. Again, last week we talked about it. Lay down your preferences in favor of people. If you've got a problem with a mask and you think a mask is more important than Jesus, well, you're wrong, number one. Number two, put on a mask. All I'm saying. If you don't like me, there's coffee in the back. Next month also, we're having an ordination service, which the gospel speaks way through that. Ordaining an elder who's going to partake in leadership. I'm not even going to tell you who it is. I want you to be surprised. Um, but, you know, but we love Andrew Hendricks. And so... We're going to do that next month, and in that, people are going to see the gospel. Why? Because free to serve. Man, that's what the gospel does. It grows people from dead to alive and then matures them to leadership. No glass ceiling. That's the gospel. And at the end of the month, family dedication. A bunch of families holding their babies, or maybe their two-year-olds, babies with teeth, and they're saying together in front of everybody, uh, we love this child enough to tell you and to tell God that we're going to raise them so that they can know and fear the Lord in hopes that Jesus is going to save them. And we're asking you to participate in that. There's the gospel right there, too. A whole month. And community groups we launch next month. Maybe, maybe, maybe you invite them to a community group. But it starts with writing their names down, believing that God can save them, partnering with him in prayer, and going after it. Man, I love old Billy Graham. He says this. He says, prayer is crucial in evangelism. Only God can change the heart of someone who is in rebellion against him. No matter how logical our arguments or how fervent our appeals, our words will accomplish nothing unless God's Spirit prepares the way. Pray that God tills the soil. Man, pray that he gets rid of the rocks. Pray that he gets rid of the briars. Pray that he gets rid of all the weeds. And all we get to do when the time comes is to say, this is what Jesus has done in me. I believe he can do it in you. Would you like to know more? Man, believe it or not, life tees people up pretty good, especially right now. Life is teeing people up and teeing people off, but either way, we get to speak. But it starts with believing that God can do it. I think the last thing I'll say is this, that it's, it's not our job to save people, but it is our job to believe that God can save them. And then it's our job to work towards that on his behalf. You hear me? Not our job to save people, but it is my job, my role, my responsibility, responsibility to believe that God can save them. And then I work towards that on God's behalf. It starts with believing that he can, praying that he will, and speaking truth so they can hear. Let's do that as a family. Let's do it as a family. And it's amazing when we see God do it. You'll never forget it. You'll never forget it. So we're going to worship one more song and then close with uh, some scripture reading. Um, And if you need to pray before you write those names down, you do that. Okay, if you need to sit while they're singing, if you can't stand until you're done, that's great. But here, after you do that, you're just going to fold it a couple times, tear it in half. You're going to drop one half in that basket back there, put the pen in that bag behind it if you would. And then you take this, put it somewhere conspicuous that you're going to see it. And you just start praying for them. Start today. Continue tomorrow. Continue Tuesday with the belief that Jesus is going to do something. And I'll give you a small hint. Don't stop praying until he does. Maybe do that. Don't stop praying until he does. See what happens.
God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that you didn't just leave us here to wander, but you left us here with a mission and responsibility. And you didn't just leave us here with a responsibility and a mission, but you left us with the power through your spirit to accomplish it. Not so that our names could be great, not so that we could build our own little kingdoms, but God, so that we could watch your kingdom grow, so that we could watch your name become great, so that we could see you bring life where death was, so that we could see you change someone from the kingdom of this world to your kingdom. Being controlled by sin to being controlled by your spirit, God, I thank you for the freedom that rests there. I thank you that you've done it in our lives for those of us who know you, and I thank you for the lives that you're going to do it in. Thank you for letting us watch. Thank you for letting us participate. God, you move, please, because we need you to. We desire you to, and we believe that you can.